Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. Today, my guest, Rachel Thompson, is going to talk about book marketing for writers, bloggers, and authors. She's a founder and CEO of Bad Redhead Media, a company that helps authors build their personal brands and market their books. Rachel has authored several books and her articles appear in top publications like Huffington Post. She's an advocate for sexual abuse survivors. Listen as she gives expert tips on how to self-publish and market your books. Once again, Rachel, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I know that we've had a lot of people, we talk to our audience and ask them who they want us to speak with, and you've been on that list. And we've been going back and forth the last few months, and so we're excited about having you on the podcast today. And I figure let's kind of like set the table a little bit. I know the audience always kind of, you know, some people know who you are and, and your past and your history, which obviously we'll go into. And other people want to kind of know, like, that don't know you, kind of like, let's get a little history from you. So where did you grow up? Let's kind of go into that. We'll kind of set the table here a little bit. California, kind of all over. California started in uh, the Inland Empire, San Bernardino. And my folks were not happy being in that area because it was just so congested and smoggy. So my dad moved us up to Northern California. So that's primarily where I grew up. Awesome. And when we say Northern California, where in Northern California? Sacramento area. Okay. I'm in Sacramento. Did you know that? No, I had no idea. I'm literally in East Sacramento. That's that's actually where I, my home is Sacramento and I use it as a hub to travel all over. That's why I was kind of curious. You said Northern California. It's like, mm, let me see where she's from. So yeah. are you still in Northern California? Yeah, I'm still in Northern California. My, my folks moved to Fair Oaks and stayed there for many, many years. And then as they got older and all of us kids moved away, they ended up in Roseville in a Sun City <laughs> you know, area. My wife's aunt and uncle live there. We, in fact, we yeah. just visited in the Sun City up there. Beautiful. It's yeah. a nice little spot. Yeah. yeah. They're all over. Yeah. Placer County. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. They're huge, 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 yeah. huge little golf courses. And it's all this little, now it's probably a little quarantine, but other than that, it's an, it's an awesome place to be for sure. So how big was your family growing up? Well, for many, many years, it was my sister and I, she's older by about three years and then me. And then when I was 10, my parents had a surprise baby, another surprise. girl, yeah. so three girls, no boys. We're all very close. And two of us are here now in Northern California. And then my younger sister and her husband uh, kind of move all over. They work for the government. And mm. so right now they're based in San Antonio. Gotcha. And so give us an interesting fact about your family growing up. Is there anything that you're like, a lot of people don't know this, or we always did this? Is there any traditions or anything fun? Well, my family, my parents, uh, very influenced by their Jewish religion. So that for them was a big deal, especially my older sister and I, not so much. We yeah. kind of just abandoned the whole thing, especially me, because I decided and when I was a sophomore, that cheerleading was more important than going to confirmation classes. So I just exit stage left. <laughs> My younger sister is very much into it. She has three children and decided that she was absolutely going to raise them Jewish. So for her, it's, it's really an important part of everything that they do. Interestingly, her husband is not Jewish, but he's totally cool with it. For me, I didn't raise my kids. Either way, I have two children. Mm -hmm. I just decided they could choose. You know, you, you raise your kids. Do you have children? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. My, I have a, a son. Okay. So I have two, daughter who's 20 and a son who's 14. And, you know, for me, it was you raise them with good morals and values. Although I still take them over to my folks for things like Passover or yeah. Hanukkah and things like that. But I also temper it with, you know, we want to 
expose them to other things like Christmas and Easter. So for me, it's not so much about the religion as it is the knowledge of understanding other religions and more traditions, I think, than anything else. Yeah, I think I, for me, it's like being culturally aware right? That there's yeah. other things out there. And, and also to me, that's, that's awesome. Like I would, you know, I was raised my dad. So long story short, I don't even know if anybody in my audience knows this, but I was actually adopted, which is a whole nother story, but he was Jewish and actually still is Jewish now that I think about it. And, and it, since I was four years old. And so my family wasn't, didn't do heavy things on the, in regards to the Jewish side of things, but we did mm-hmm. celebrate Christmas and stuff, but I I've always been, I've done a lot of world traveling. And I'm saying that in the sense that I love those different types of cultures, right? I love different things and different festivals and this, I'm very open-minded to that kind of thing. And it kind yeah. of sounds like you are too, right? Obviously your family yeah. was this way and you said, we're not necessarily going to fully go that way. But the thing is, is it'll still be in our, in our part of our family and the way that we do things. And it's very accepted, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because friends will come to me and they'll say, well, what is the meaning behind this Jewish holiday? And I'm like, I don't know. Google it. I have no idea. Like, yeah. <laughs> just not that person. Let me but, let me look in my Jewish book. Hold on one second. Oh, yeah, here we yeah. go. Look at what we have here. Yeah. Uh, it's always funny. I mean, you know, this is, this is also another thing. I, it was funny when I was traveling. This was when I was very young. Uh, there was a, a church camp we went to. And I remember being from California. The first thing I asked me was like, do you surf to school? And so I'm like, mm, like just because you're Jewish doesn't mean you know everything about the Jewish religion or anything. It's like, just because I'm from California doesn't mean that we all surf to school. I mean, and then what I would tell them is like, of course, no, Stuart. I mean, how can I surf to school? My surfboard doesn't fit my locker. And they'd be like, oh, that makes sense. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. totally, bro. Like, sounds yeah. good. So anyways, yeah. it's kind of fun when you think about that. It's like, you know, or when somebody goes, oh, you're from Sacramento. Hey, do you know John, John Smith? And I'm like, John Smith from Sacramento? Shut the front door. <laughs> How do you know John? I'm like, how many John Smiths there are in Sacramento? Anyway, so it's, it is kind yeah. of funny when people think that. It's like, that kind of makes me laugh. So yeah. did you go to college? I mean, did you go to college here in Northern California? Or where did you, did you do continued education? Or you just jump in and became, you're just extremely smart? Yeah, <laughs> well, thank you. No, I went to Sac State. Yeah, I graduated from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh God, this is so it's so funny when I interview people, you just never know what they're going to say. So, I mean, I went to Sac State as well. I graduated with my marketing degree from Sac State. So, it's mm-hmm. Sac State is literally a mile and a half from my house. Oh, like okay. we were there yesterday with my wife. We walk our dogs there. Well, now that Aww. with the whole thing that's going on, yeah, we're there all the time. So, it's kind of nice to see the campus grow because when I was there, many moons ago. We won't go into how long ago that was, but there was, I mean, it's just, a, it was a small little campus, right? And now it's like yeah. absolutely grown. I mean, now they've got the welcome center and all this other stuff. And it's awesome. You know, football team did well this year. And so anyways, there's some, some cool stuff. It's, I've become more and more proud of Sac State, right? Of, of the different things that they've done over the last year. So it's, it's been awesome. So it's awesome. So what, going through college and stuff, what was your degree in college? Communication studies with a minor in journalism. So I wanted to write. I always wanted to be a writer since I was 10, but I didn't know how to fit that into making it a career. So the close, they didn't have a creative writing major when I was there. So the closest I could get was journalism, but there weren't enough journalism classes to make it a major. So the closest I could get, this was in the eighties, the closest I could get was communication studies. And so that's what I ended up with. It's funny. So that's, it kind of was the same thing when I went to school. I was entrepreneurship. I'd already owned my own businesses and I wanted to take classes. And at that time, there was like one entrepreneurship class. You know, there was no real, it was kind of like, hey, we're going to train you to, to work for a business, which is not a bad thing or for a company. Yeah. And that's awesome. But, you know, I'm like, well, hey, what about, you know, what about if I want to do my own thing? They're like, what do you mean do your own thing? I'm like, like 
I've already done it and I just want to learn more about it. So it's interesting. I know now they have tons of, you know, obviously it's creative English and all that kind of fun stuff and, and entrepreneurship classes. I think it's really flourished, but, um, I, yeah, it was, well, that's, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of aging ourselves a little bit, but that's okay. That's okay. I know (laughs) I started college when I was seven and I think you were three years old when you started. So it's, we're still in that relative age, give or take a few years. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So what was your, what was your dream job out of college? Like what were you looking to do? Obviously with the communications and a journalism background. Well, of course, I wanted to be a writer, and I did internships for various magazines, and but there were no jobs in the Sacramento area for writers, mm-hmm. unless you wanted to go to work for a newsroom or something. So, yeah. you know, and those were very few and far between. I had sold some articles to some magazines while I was in uh, my journalism classes. And it was funny because I was one of the few that was able to do that. And my journalism teacher really encouraged me to go freelance and try it that way. But that wasn't going to pay my rent. So I ended up interviewing for a pharmaceutical job (laughs) only because my older sister was already working for a pharmaceutical company and had met the man that she was going to marry. I was at her engagement party. And I met her boss and he said, well, I have a spot to fill. If there's one great person from your family, there's got to be another and come interview with me. And I did. And I ended up getting the job. And so that kind of started me down the role, the road to being a pharmaceutical rep, which really wasn't my planned career. But I ended up having that drive to excel, probably the perfectionistic tendencies that I have anyway, (laughs) led me down that road. And I ended up doing that for 17 years, different companies working. I ended up back East working in the home office, doing training, you know, kind of utilizing those skills that I had with communication studies, writing, creating programs, things like that. And pharmaceutical sales, I mean, that's not a bad industry to be in. Last time I checked, it's not going anywhere. You know, I mean, I I have a lot of friends that actually had a sex state that, you know, that, you know, went and interviewed and actually got jobs with pharmaceutical companies, which is a great career. You know, I know it's gotten a lot harder over the years, the last probably 10, 15 years, just because of before you used to be able to meet with the doctors individually and bring over donuts and cupcakes and all the other fun stuff. And then yeah. so they're like, hey, you can't do that because you might be swaying Dr. Johnson because he's, you know, high on sugar all the time. And, you know, so <laughs> kind of looking yeah. at like, what can we do there? So that's yeah, interesting. So I think, yeah, pharmaceutical reps, not a bad, that's a good Sacramento job for, well, good anywhere job. Like I said, a lot of my friends made really good money out of college. It's yeah. a grind though, right? I mean, it's sales for sure. Like you're going to, you know, you got how many gatekeepers in front of that doctor and, you know, you got the receptionist that's protecting them and you're trying to get in there. And so it's a cutthroat business, but I do think it is awesome for sales, right? I mean, just going in there and better understanding like psychology and how to work with people and how to get around that person and how to be able to work with people and, and, and sell stuff. I, for a very short period of time, I actually worked at a call center. Um, and the reason why I did it, well, A, because my friend owned the call center and needed help, but was B because it was also going to help me with sales. And I knew that I would go in, even though I hated it. I mean, it was, I was telemarketing. I was like that guy that would call, you know, when you and your family were just sitting down to lunch and, yeah. you know, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. Let's go ahead and say a prayer or let's hang out or whatever. And I'm like, hey, you want to refi your house? And they're like, no, I hate you. And you're like, cool. Thanks for everything, man. I'm like hanging up. Yeah, I will have to tell you that my numbers were pretty low when it came to calls compared to everybody else because I hate I didn't enjoy doing it, but I knew that I would learn something from it. And that was where I learned kind of, you know, sales and how to talk with people. And, you know, I mean, you're really calling it the worst time about things that people don't want to want to do. And you're trying to convince them, you know, and so you see that obviously a lot with like Mormons, like Mormons are usually great salespeople because for two years, they're knocking on doors 
trying to convince people to change their full religion or jump. I mean, that's a huge sale, right? I mean, you're like, hey, yes. change everything that you know about and let's go ahead and get you a jump on with me, this guy on a bike and a white, you know, white check or shirt that I just, you know, and when I want to go ahead and have you jump on with my religion, like that's a pretty hard sale. So yeah. interesting our backgrounds on, on how that, that plays out in regards mm-hmm. to sales and how we did things. So how did that work? So, because obviously you, you did the pharmaceutical sales and then you jumped into blogging and writing. So kind of tell us a little bit how that happened because we obviously got, you know, you're kind of like me. There's like three venture or arms of what you do, right? And so I think we'll kind of touch on that a little bit. But like, how did yeah. you get into blogging and stuff like that? Well, after pharma, I ended up quitting. Um, I had my daughter and it was so hard once you become a mom to be away from your child. Yeah. And then my well, my ex-husband now, but we were still married at the time, worked from home. So I kind of had sort of a a mini meltdown because um, being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, it was very difficult for me after I had my daughter to feel secure Mm -hmm. in keeping her safe. So not that I didn't trust my husband, of course I did, but we brought someone into the home, a nanny who was sweet and wonderful, but psychologically it was very, very difficult for me to be away from her. And so I developed anxiety and depression and eventually I was diagnosed with having PTSD from the whole Trauma, for sure. Yeah, trauma. And um, I got help, thank goodness. And after about... I would say about three or four years of being apart from her, we decided to have another child and I just couldn't get pregnant, probably from the stress of all of it. And there were other things happening in the industry. I'm not going to go into that, but eventually I just quit. And within a year I was pregnant. So obviously stress had a lot to do with it. (laughs) Hello. Um, Yeah. So um, I had my son. And then after about a year or two of that being home, taking care of the kids, I was pretty much losing my mind. So I got into (laughs) blogging, which was really coming into its own at that point. It was probably, I had him in 2005. So around 2007, 2008, I started writing about relationship issues in a humorous way. Um, You know, just like I finally get the kids down and my ex-husband was a slammer. So, you know, he'd go out the garage door and slam it and then the kid would start crying and I'd be like, oh my God, could he just not slam? Or, you know, yeah. Um, or, you know, like how hard is it to change, put on a new roll of toilet paper? You know, when you live somebody for so long, it's those like tube of toothpaste kind of things that get to you, right? So yeah. I just started writing about those types of things and I garnered a fairly large following. So eventually I wrote two satirical humor books about relationships, marriage, being a parent, silly things based on my blogs. And then my blog just blew up. So those were my first two books. And what I learned to go back to being a pharmaceutical rep, I just wanted to, and trainer, is that social media is a great way to listen and interact with people and build relationships. And that's really what I excelled at when I was a rep, was not so much, you know, hi, Dr. Shane, you need to write my drug. And if you don't write my drug, I'm going to come in here every day and you know, yeah, be all over you. you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was just, Hey, how's your wife? What's going on with the kids? Did you get in a golf game today? How did you do? Yeah. You know, I got to talk about my drug, you know, otherwise I can't call it a call, you know, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Relationship and building. 
Exactly. And so that's what I was really good at. I was very successful. I won a ton of awards. And again, not to brag at all, it's just the reason I did well was because I focused on not what the company line was with my little sales aid and going down each point. It was interacting with them and listening to them and understanding maybe they're having a bad day and they don't want to hear my spiel about whatever the drug was. It was just knowing and reading them. And that's why for me, social media and book marketing isn't all about self-promotion. It's I do very little of that. Right now, my books are free. So I'm letting people know my books are free. I'm not making any money on these books right now. I'm just hoping that people are able to read my stuff and maybe it'll help them in their book marketing or if they're a survivor, they'll know they're not alone. That's really what I'm doing with my books right now. Which is awesome. I mean, your thing is like less about revenue, more about like if this could, you know, I'd rather this get in somebody's hands that really needs it, right? Because that ten or twenty dollar price point could stop somebody, even though they might have, you might have something extremely valuable that could change their lives or have a different perspective on something by them getting it for free. So I think that's very selfless of you, and I think that's awesome. Thank you. And I think we will talk about that as well. I do want to talk about your books, and I also want to talk where people can get them because last time I checked for free ninety nine, uh, that that is the right price point. Last time I checked for anybody in my audience to go and grab those books. So um, we'll talk about that here in a quick second. So okay. you had you had the blog, and then you had. So when did you start the uh, Bad Redhead Media? Yeah, um, I, I started that. that in two thousand eleven. So I'd been blogging for about three years, and I knew that I was going to be publishing my first two books. So I published the, the humor books and they did amazing. This was when Amazon had opened up its self-publishing, KDP, uh. right? And it was kind of the wild, wild west of self-publishing, right? There was a huge pool that you could, you know, earn money from. Yeah. And maybe 500, 250 books were released every day. Now we're up to like, what is it? Three or five books are released every day. It was crazy. So I could basically pay my rent every month living in Orange County, which was very expensive, right? I don't live there anymore. So I released those books. I opened my business and I basically just started helping other people with learning how to use social media in a way that wasn't spamming out links. Hey, buy my book. Hey, buy my book. Hey, buy my book. Because that's what a lot of authors tend to do when they release a book and they haven't thought about pre-marketing because they think to themselves, how can I uh, sell a book that doesn't exist yet? And that's where I come in and I say, well, we, we don't need to brand your book. We need to brand you. And so that's where I've learned that I can help people. So that's what my business is all about, really. Gotcha. Kind of shifting the paradigm. And, and that makes total sense. I think even today, brands and, you know, whether you're uh, uh, an author or whatever that is, they still don't get that. Like, you don't need to, like, you don't need to promote yourself every single day, 500 links like that. People just get numb to that. And nobody really wants that anyways, right? Like, the idea of it is, is, is you, there needs to be a strategy behind it. And I, there's actually a really famous football player. I won't say his name, not that I think he listens right now, but maybe he does. And every single day he has an energy drink that he promotes. And I'm, I'm a huge 49ers fan, so people might know who this is. And every day he talks about the energy drink. And I'm like, man, you just, there's a better way of doing it. Like you're a huge, you're a Hall of Famer, you've got a good following, but just every day he talks about it. I just wonder, like, 
you know, it's like if you had a better strategy of like, you know, it's, you don't always have to talk about it, but you can have it. I'm putting up like my phone right now, like it's a drink, but you know, yeah. you can talk about it and do this and have it in the background and wear the shirt. And there's other things you can do that people will subconsciously see that and better understand that, Hey, maybe this person is using that and that's helps them get up in the morning or use it for energy or whatever that is. But I just Mm -hmm. think there needs to be a better strategy. And I see that I go, man, I really want to read. I probably will reach out to him and say, listen, I'm a huge (laughs) fan, but would you like, I'll give you a half an hour consultation. Like we just kind of talk about how you can do this better. Right. Because people will react to this, but you're, you're just shoving it down people's throats and they're just not, you know, they're not going to be a huge fan of that. So let's, before, because I do want to talk about like the book and, and you know, how you do the self-promotions because that is something that we definitely want to touch on. But tell me about your few books. Like we've got Broken Pieces, you got Broken Places. I know you won some, a number of awards for that. Like kind of give me a little background on that. Sure. Um, well, I put out the, the two humor books and then I ended up pulling them because, well, one, I ended up divorcing my ex-husband, but <laughs> that was a big part of it. But two, I really changed my strategy as an author. So I have my two brands, basically, Rachel and the OC, which I lived in the OC for 17 years. So people are like, why is it that? (laughs) But I stuck with it. The other thing was when I started Twitter back in 2009, there were already several Rachel Thompson authors. Mm. So I needed a different name. Yeah, yeah. But what I decided was I was ready to tell my story of being sexually abused by a neighbor when I was 10 years old. Mm. And I felt like it was something that I had hidden for many, many years, and I didn't want to hide it anymore. So I put together essays and poetry talking about it. And my main goal really was, I wasn't out to make a huge amount of money. I just wanted other survivors to feel less alone. So I released this book, I think in 2013. And then I wrote Broken Places, which is the second book in 2014. So the books go together. I did win a number of awards, which is wonderful. But the Mm. most important thing was when I released the first book, so many people emailed me, DM'd me, PM'd me, left me so many messages about being survivors as well. Men, women, LGBTQ, clients even. Yeah. And I felt like there was something I needed to do with this and I didn't know what. So I was talking with a therapist friend of mine and I said, you know, I'd really like to start a chat, a public chat on Twitter because we don't need to be ashamed of what happened to us because it's not our fault. We didn't abuse ourselves, especially as children. It doesn't matter at any point, you know, the criminal committed the crime. Yeah. We didn't do anything wrong. And I'm so over the victim blaming, especially with so many of these public issues going on, these yeah. Me Too situations. So in 2013, I started Sex Abuse Chat, which is on every Tuesday night. So it's tonight at six o'clock Pacific, nine o'clock um, Eastern. And I started it with this therapist friend of mine, and she um, had to back out a couple years ago, just personal issues, but we're still good friends. And so I have two other co-hosts now. And so we still do this every week for the past, gosh, six or seven years. And it's a huge community of survivors that attend. And we have one specific topic every week. And that really has been, for me, the best part about publishing my books. Because, I mean, I sell them for very little. It's not about money making for me. It's about Mm -hmm. helping other survivors feel less alone. 
And so let's talk about that. And so, I mean, obviously you, you seem very selfless with this and you're obviously it's, I, I can only imagine the transition from saying, Hey, this has happened to me. I'm embarrassed, shy, nervous, whatever that is ashamed or whatever that those feelings are. And then being able to say, listen, I'm just going to tell the world my story. And I think doing that, I know it's extremely difficult, right? I mean, I know firsthand there's things that have happened to me, um, not sexually necessarily, but things that have happened in my life. That's like, I don't want people to know about that, but really once you get it out there and then you, you start to see that people are relating to it and also have things that have happened to them as well that you wouldn't even think, right? Of course, yeah. they didn't think anything happened to you. And then you, when you let that go and you kind of release that out there and, and good things can happen. And so I think uh, that's awesome. I think it's really cool that you're able to tell your story and, and the things that you've done. I think it's also helped you because you're, you have a different mindset in the sense that, you know, a lot of people, when they create books, there's a few things that they're looking at, right? Some people have these things of, I want to make a million dollars, which I'm not saying you can't do that with books. I do. T I can tell you that it's very difficult, right? Or you're doing it for a thought leadership thing, or you're looking to give back to the community, or at least put some stuff out there and something very personal, which is your story. And so, when you talk about self-publishing, like how did you go about doing that? Like, what was your like? Because obviously, self you were at the beginning stages of self-publishing, right? Like, this mm -hmm. was like because it was very difficult. You you had what is it? The big three, I think. The book people that do distribution, I think there's three of them, right? That do the major distribution for any kind of book deals that you get going. With yeah. self-publishing, tell us a little bit about that journey. And if anybody's looking to, you know, self-publish or come out with their, you know, book and something like that, like give us a little background on that. Well, I decided at the beginning that if I was going to self-publish, which I decided I wanted to because I have the marketing background to market mm. my own books, I wanted to do it like top shelf. I wasn't going to just take a document and upload it. That's like taking a book report and calling it a book, right? So. Yeah. I ended up working with people that I had met in the self-publishing space. So I hired a freelance editor, a professional graphic designer, professional formatter. And so you have to understand that if you're going to do this right, it's an investment. So you can't just, I mean, you can, but you're not going to make any money. If you want a good quality book, then you have to invest in yourself and you have to invest in this book. When I started, there weren't companies that you could hire to do these things. Now you can actually hire companies like Book Baby, or you can go to places like Read Z and hire professionals to do this for you. I have a team that I work with who are very, very good that do the, the editing and the formatting and the graphic design and all that. And I'm putting together a resources page on my site but at the time, you know, you sort of had to just trust people that they were going to do a good job for you. Since then, I've brought in to work with a hybrid publisher who is now defunct, but they were great. I led a, an imprint for them for other survivors as well. So I was able to help publish about 10 or 12 books by other survivors, which was wow. fabulous. That's awesome. Yeah. And then once they closed, um, I got an agent and I ended up going with a small uh, boutique publisher and they were great. I loved working with them, but I literally made no money. So after a year or two, I think it was, a, I think it was a year, I got my rights back and then I republished all my books myself. And so for me, self-publishing has been the best way to make money which isn't to say I'm not open to, you know, talking with an agent. I have an agent who's interested in talking with me. At this point, I'm open, but like I said, it's not about making money for me. My business makes my money. Yeah, and I think that's if having an agent or having a big publishing company, I mean, it's hard to tell them, hey, my big thing is I don't want to make a lot of money. Like my thing is to get the word out. So it needs it's a passion project, right? Like for you, it's like, yeah. hey, 
to me, it's, it's a helpful thing. And so being big, bad publishers are going to go, what do you mean you don't want to make money? You're like, no, that's not yeah. my goal. They're like, eh, next person, right? I mean, their thing is obviously revenue, right? And so there's, it's, that becomes, makes it a little more difficult. But I think your goal of once again, of helping people and less about revenue is just awesome, right? I mean, because most people don't think that way. But I think in your situation, you're like, all the feelings that you had through this whole journey, you're like, well, how can I help people better deal with that, right? Because you had to deal with it, yeah. and you dealt with it, and it was not easy, right? And it's not going to be easy yeah. for other people, but the more support you have, like these Twitter chats and these books and stuff that are for free, it's awesome. And once again, I think it's a, a situation that you know more and more people, unfortunately, are going to need to, in these situations, like how do I deal with this, right? Not everybody can pay $100, $150 an hour for a counselor or something like that to be able to assess that. And that's, if you're going through traumatic events like that, that's not a, you know, that's not you go to the counselor twice and you come out and you're a new man, new woman, and all of a sudden you're going. I mean, that's it's continued support and continued work that you have to do on yourself to better assess what happened to you. So once again, kudos to you for doing that. And, and you know, once again, that's awesome. All the books you have coming out. So what would be, so in regards to the challenges, because it sounds like some of the challenges were, once again, like everybody, you kind of go through this thing and you, you know, you got a, you got a manager, you got a, somebody to help you with the books. And then that really didn't make sense. You got your rights back and the self-publishing and like, we talk about self-promotion and self-publishing it, self-publishing made sense for you because you have that marketing background. And obviously mm-hmm. now there are companies that you touched on that actually can help you with all of that stuff, right? Just depending on, on what your goal is and what your budget is, right? right? So what would you, so so if we had some first-time writers or somebody that wanted to write a book about anything, whether it be marketing, whether it be childhood, whether it be a biography, I don't care, like a fictional book, like yeah. what would you, like what would you, where is it, what's the starting point for them? Like if they were to listen to this and say, okay, I want to, I've got an idea. This is what I want to write about. Like what would you as, a, as obviously a seasoned writer and author where would you recommend they start? Well, I always recommend that writers build out their author platform, regardless of where they are in the process of writing their book. Because the issue is, and I get this a lot with clients, is they'll say, well, my book came out two months ago and I haven't sold any. So I need you to help me. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll do my best, right? But you really needed to start six months ago before your book ever launched. Right. It's funny. So, I mean, that's when I used to do a lot of crowdfunding, that's what people would come to us with is like, Hey, I had 30 days. I just submitted two weeks ago. We have two weeks. Like, what do you think I should do to promote this? And I'm like, started six months ago. Like we, you know, you need a three month to six month ramp before you even launch. I mean, most of your work is literally done before you even go live. Yeah. Right. And so it's always a hard, it's a difficult thing. It's like, man, I want to help you, but you got two weeks, you know, and the same thing with you. It's like, think at least with yours, there's not an end of like when they can stop getting money, but it is kind of like, well, you you miss that whole like PR and getting people excited and the launch and getting it hyped up. You miss that part. Now you're out. And it's, it's like, well, now how do we, you know, how do we regenerate that vibe of people getting excited about it when you've already launched? Right. And in publishing, we say we brand the author, not the book. I kind of changed it a little bit to say not only the book, because we do have to obviously brand your book, but more importantly is that we brand the author. And so this is the one thing I'm writing a little mini book about branding right now. And this is the one thing that most writers or bloggers who are trying to write a book cannot get their mind around is we're not just going to talk about your book, your book, your book 24 seven all the time. People want to find common ground. They want to understand these universal truths that, you know, basically what do we have in common? Because that's what we're going to talk about. And then, yes, we can also talk about your book, but use the real estate that social media gives you. Use your header, use your bio, use your pinned tweet or your pinned post on Facebook. 
to say, oh, here's my book and you it's coming soon or it's available now or you can pre-order it, whatever. But that's not all you need to be talking about. And then so I give examples. What are four or five things that you're interested in, expert at, want to be interested or want to be an expert at? What's fascinating to you? Talk about those things. Share articles and quotes about those things. And so then when your book does come out, you can still continue to talk about those things as well as what's going on with your book. And I think a lot of times people are very hesitant or afraid of branding because it sounds like something out of Mad Men. But they're probably already branding themselves without realizing it. And that's where I can help clarify that for them. I think that's the big thing. I always tell people like, listen, here's the deal. If you're going to post the same thing every day, it's like if you're going to, you go and you, let's say I'm on a walk and I meet the same person every day and I walk up to him and I say, hey, I'm Shane Barker and I'm a blogger and I, I sell books. And cool, thanks Shane. And then you see him again the next day. Hey, my name is Shane. I write blogs and I write books. And they're like, that's really cool, Shane. It's nice to see you again the next day. I'm like, they're avoiding me, right? That next day they're like, God, we got to watch out for Shane and when he's walking his dogs because all he's going to do is come up and tell me the same damn thing that he told me yesterday. And that's super awesome. I get it that you write books and I get it that if I need a book that I need to come, like, reach out to you. And it's the same thing I tell clients and the same thing. You know, it's like, listen, at the end of the day, think about having a conversation. And if you want to have an engaging conversation, if I come to you say the exact same thing every single day, you're going to lose your mind or you're going to avoid me like the plague. I probably yeah. should have said like the coronavirus. How about that? That will make it a little more relevant to these days. <laughs> it's right? kind of different meaning. <laughs> yeah. No, and it totally does. Right. So, I mean, but that's the thing is like you have to look at like what if we're going to have a conversation and people are going to constantly be engaged in your feed, which is really the goal. Yeah. Like you're talking about whatever it is. Like for me, I, I talk about craft beer. I talk about speaking and I talk about, I don't need to tell people every single day that I'm a speaker. I don't need to tell people every yeah. single day that I do this and this is how they can hire me. Honestly, probably in my situation, I don't even talk about it enough. Like for me, it's more of like, I'm more of like a hands-off, like, hey, you come read my blog. You like the content. I'll have a little thing on the side that, hey, we can talk. And, you know, I really should improve all that stuff. But for me, it's more of a, hey, let me educate. And then you're going to come, you know, hopefully you get to a point where you're like, God, I really want to do this. And I've read 50 of Shane's blog posts and trying to think, who should I hire to have help me do this? Oh, wait, I read this on Shane's blog, right? So this is an aha moment. And then hopefully it gets to a situation where now you can go and help that person. And so I think that's yeah. what I just try to tell, like, think about having a normal conversation, you know, like when yeah. you, and it's the same thing I talk about influencer marketing, we talk about engagement and stuff like that. I said, you have to think about if you look at somebody, an influencer you want to hire and their engagement is all emojis, like that's mm -hmm. not really engagement, right? If I walked up to somebody in a restaurant and I did, a, I'm doing a heart emoji, you guys can't see because we're on a podcast, right? If I just do that every time and people are like, what do you, like, what do you, are you doing a heart emoji? Like have a conversation, like that's engagement. That's true engagement. You know, when we look at that, like you know, the definition of what it is. Yes, absolutely. And I agree with that. And then the thing that sort of always fascinates me is how not just writers, but anybody with a service or a product to sell will suddenly lose. Just like you said earlier, you did telemarketing and you would call at dinner and every, then people would be annoyed by that. But then they become that person when they have a book to sell. Yeah. Right. And they lose that perspective completely. Yeah. Right. 
look like pull yourself out of the situation and look at yourself. Like, would you want to go meet yourself? Like, no, you don't. Like, no. I don't want to meet Shane every time I walk around the park and I see Shane and I'm like, oh God, he's going to talk about the same. You don't want to be that guy. And nobody wants to be the annoying guys. It's like a, it's like when people break up, nobody wants to be the, the boyfriend that's stalking the girl or the girlfriend that's like staring at him on. So nobody wants to be that. But we get to that yeah. point where like, you can tell a friend, Hey, don't do that. It's stupid. But then when you're in the middle of the situation, you're doing the stupid stuff. You're like, why are you doing that? Like you told me a month ago not to do that. Now you're doing it. It's different when, you know, because you're like, I've got to like get them back or I have to sell this or I have to do this. And it's like, take a step back, look at yourself in the mirror and say, is this the person that I want to be? Or is this how I'm going to really be able to sell product? Would I buy from this person? And the answer is going to be no, but most of the time there's not that self-reflection, right? There isn't a reflection of like, what do I look like right now? Do I look like a crazy lunatic and I'm just talking about the same stuff every single day and I'm wondering why I'm losing following or I'm losing engagement or people aren't buying my book? Because guess what? We don't want to hear that you have a book every single day. Like nobody cares, right? Yeah. And it's not going to be an engaging conversation. Exactly. And that's, that's the other thing that I, I try to get people to understand is like my personal favorite social channel is Twitter for interacting, building relationships. As for conversions, it's very low. Yeah. So people need, you know, you need to accept that just throwing links out there constantly. It's not going to convert to sales. So you need to, like I said, let the real estate do that for you. Whereas something like Pinterest, you know, a link can stay, the half-life of that link is about three months. So when people tell me, well, I'm not going to do Pinterest because I can only do one channel. And I think, okay, well, if you're only going to do one channel, well, maybe it should be one that the half-life isn't, you know, two minutes. Yeah. It should be something else that might be more effective for your demographic. Well, I don't know what my demographic is. Well, let's figure that out. Yeah. There's a lot of work involved. And a lot of times, you know, writers, writers are lazy. I'm a writer too. So if you don't want to do the work, then don't complain about it. And that's, those are the types of things that I have to get them to do just the tiniest bit of work. Yeah. And just, this is a PSA. Not only are writers lazy, I think everybody, everybody seems to be lazy. I mean, it's anytime you come with something that's that, you know, what is it? What was the thing? There was, there was a quote, something like there was something that came and it was disguised as work or something. So the idea being is like, you know, Hey, once and I'm not saying everybody's lazy, but it's like, once you, yeah. you have to really understand like what it takes to promote a book, it isn't, Hey, go send out six tweets and sit back and let's watch this thing happen. Like I deal with this in influencer marketing. Like people are like, all I have to do is hire Kim Kardashian. I give her half a million dollars and I, she posts one time about my, you know, supplement drink and then I'll make millions. And I'm like, no, no, that's a terrible idea. Like that's not, it takes work. Right. And so it's like, that's the thing is everybody's going from the 10 second ab to the seven second ab. Now I want the three second ab. Now I just want somebody else to do it for me. I mean, is there any way that I can get somebody else to do it? And you can, all right. You know, maybe not fitness wise, but you can, you know, you can absolutely hire somebody, but expect that to, there's either you have, you need to have a lot of money or you need to have time, right? And anything that you do is going to take time. Like it's not, nothing's an overnight process. Like being a, a sales rep, what about for farm when you were a pharmaceutical rep? Let me guess the first, first month you absolutely crushed it, right? No, no, nobody did. Nobody does. I mean, for the most part, if you don't have that background. So the thing is you go through and it's hard, but guess what it takes? It takes a year. It takes two years. You start to learn the process. 
But it's the same thing with anything. You want to start doing video, you want to start doing blogging, you want to be an author, like just know that it takes time. That's with anything. So if somebody has that magic formula for you and, and says, hey, I guarantee this is going to get this and you're going to, you know, this, that and the other, like be very cautious of that. You know, I mean, in the sense that you can help get like tips and stuff from mentors and people that, you know, have gotten to a certain level. Absolutely. Like you could take advantage of that, like hiring somebody like yourself or say, listen, I've done this before. Let me show you this journey. But just yeah. know that like the expectation is it's going to be a grind. Because if it wasn't a grind, everybody would be doing it. Like it would be super easy. Like crowdfunding, when I did that back in the day, people were like, I didn't know it was this much work. And I'm like, if it wasn't this much work, everybody would be making millions. We just wouldn't, you know, if not, we'd have one marketing company you'd work with for the rest of your life. Like it's work. You just got to put in work. And that's the thing I always, you know, when I, when I'm working with potential clients, I have these, you know, expectations. I have these questions that I send out of like, let's make sure we're on the same page with what results are going to be and how we're going to handle this thing and how much work you're going to have to put in and what I'm going to be doing on my side. Because a lot of that in my early days, you know, that a lot of that stuff got mixed up of like, yeah, we'll do it for this. Hey, not a problem. Sounds good. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, how would I be able to do that? Like, that's what you need to do. And they're like, oh, I thought you were going to do that. I'm like, how would I go and promote your book when you're the author? Like you're going to get a lot more exposure out of that if you do that. So it, you know, just came down to that's when contracts get involved and all the other fun stuff. So we have this clear expectation of, of what's going on. But once again, it takes work, right? It's not easy. Managing expectations and not just with your clients, but you know, with yourself as well. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the most important thing is having realistic expectations as an author and of course, as a business person too. So once again, I know that you, right now your books are free. So I mean, if somebody wanted to do a book and I, once again, I've had plenty of people reach out to me and say, Hey, I've got this book. I'm going to write this book. I'm going to make millions. Um, And I'm not here to squash dreams or anything like that. Right. But I do want to keep things realistic when it comes to self-publishing. And I understand self-publishing in the sense that self-publishing is exactly where you're going to get most of the profit unless you're doing something with Amazon, obviously there's a percentage is there, but you know, you also have to do your own marketing. You're the president, you're the secretary, you're the treasurer, you're everything, right? I mean, you've got to do a lot of that stuff. So how realistic is it to make money from producing a book? And like, what are we looking at when we think, and once again, I know there's different niches, there's different people have audiences, there's a lot of moving pieces to that. I just want people to be realistic about like, Hey, when you go and self-publish your first book, and if you expect to make a million dollars, Somebody has, I'm sure. I'm sure somebody has, but be realistic about what you think that outcome could be. Well, it's probably not realistic to make a million dollars. I mean, that's probably like one in a million, right? Yeah. So what I tell people is that, first of all, the book has to be amazing. It can't have typos. It has to have a great cover. You have to put in the work. So if before you can, even can market a book, you have to have a great book. So that is the first thing. And that's where they, I suggest they work with a team of editors, graphic designers, et cetera. And if they tell me they can't afford it, then they need to crowdfund, like you said. That, so I come in after that. That's not yeah. part of what I do. Yeah. And if they're with a professional, uh, I'm sorry, with the big five publisher, hmm. then that's covered as yeah. part of what they're doing. If they're self-publishing, then they need to work with a professional firm that does all those things for them. And when they come to me and say, now what can I do to get this going? That's where either I'll do all their social media setup and posting and you know establish their branding and all that for them. And I don't do websites, but I will optimize their blog posts for SEO. That's where I come in. If they don't have a great quality book, I probably won't end up working with them or I'll suggest that they go back and redo it. Because, you know, if it's terrible, I can 
put all this wonderful stuff together for them, but the book is still going to be terrible. Yeah. There's nothing I can do about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same we with products, you know, somebody comes to us and it's just not a great product. It's like, I, I can probably get you some sales, but at the end of the day, I'm also promoting something that I can't fully say I promote, right. That I, that I want to say I promote. So that's, there's a disconnect. Shane, I should call it Shane 1.0 and Shane 2.0. Shane beginning off with, oh yeah, I can do it. Not a problem. Hey, let's do it. Now Shane 2.0 is like, how that's going to be a lot of wasted effort, right? And I think the, the expectation is going to be, hey, you want sales. And the expectation for me on this side is going to be, I don't know if we can do it. I mean, we can do it, but it's, I just don't know if it's, you know, you're just not there yet, right? I mean, there's some yeah. certain things you have to do. People reach out to us and be like, hey, I've got a logo and an idea. I'm like, that's awesome, right? But you're probably not there yet, right? In regards to what we do, you know, unless you're like millions of dollars and you're like, hey, and you're willing to, you know, you're, you're going to have to spend a lot of that to be able to get there. We can accelerate that learning curve, but it's right. just one of those deals. So, Another thing I want to touch on too, because you know I've been talking about putting out a book. I think since I was like two years old or something. Not really. I feel like it's been that long because I just haven't done it. Like so, yeah. you've got so you're a mother. Well, you have two cats, right? Two cats. You've got like 19 businesses. Not really. You have like three businesses, but it feels like it, right? So, I mean, how do you? And I know a lot of your business is writing, right? So, but how do you find that time to to do the writing? I mean, I know naturally it comes to you because you've been doing it for so long. But like, mm-hmm. how do you allocate that? Because that's the hardest thing for me. Because I like pretty much have ADHD and have like 500 screens and 10,000 tabs in each thing. And I'm like, Hey, Shane, why don't you this weekend spend a half an hour and work on your book? And I'm like, yeah, sounds good. And I sit down, I'm like, I got to cut my toenails. I got to go mow the lawn. I've got this. I'm like, Oh, we got the new craft beer that just came out. I'm like, I'd rather hang out with my wife and go to a pub and my dogs need to be walked. And like, my son wants to hang out and play baseball. Like, so here I am, like I'm, you know, and then I'm like, there's everything else other than like me sitting down and trying to focus, which the keyword is probably focus. Like, you know, it's like, how do you do that? Like, what is your, do you have like a, a system that you do? Do you like close the blinds, close the shades, turn all your electronics off, mm-hmm. you, you know, sleep, go under the bed and you start writing so nobody can find you, the cats can't find you. Like, what's your routine? Well, um, it's challenging. There's absolutely no doubt. And what I try to do for myself is I journal. Mm. I physically write in a journal if I can't do it every day, then I do it like every other day. And it can just be scribbles, like what I'm feeling that day or a word that I want to write about or a phrase that's sort of stuck in my head. And I'll give you an example in just a second. But I'm maintaining two blogs, my rachelintheoc.com blog, which is more about life, real life, surviving sexual abuse kind of thing. And then also badredheadmedia.com, which is my business. So it's a writing about author marketing, branding, that kind of stuff. So I have those two sides of my brain that are working there, but I'm also finishing up edits on Broken People, which is my third broken book, the third and final one. And then I'm writing the Bad Redhead Media Twitter, 30 day Twitter challenge, which is the second of those two books. So that's on my writing schedule. Meanwhile, I have full docket of clients who come first, right? Then I have two kids, uh, my guy and my cats. And so, you know, the home stuff. So it's a lot, plus all the other projects. So what I do is on Saturdays, that's my day to not be at the computer for work. So I set aside an hour to my writing projects, whether that's one of my two books that has something has to get done on the two books. It's not for blogging. It's not for writing anything else. It absolutely has to be for my two books. And you just set aside that time. Just do it. Just get it done. Uh, I mean, I think that makes sense. It's 
You know, it's funny. I was going to ask you because you once again, you're, I'm going to say a little crazy. And I mean that in the nicest way possible, like me, in regards, there's more and more projects and more and more of this. Like I, I, I talk to people and, and I'm like, oh, they're like, what are you doing? So I'm kind of telling them things. And, and even my, even my friends don't really know what I do. Like, they're like, Hey, what does Shane do? Like he does a lot, but I, I would like, I would actually love to challenge somebody to challenge one of my friends and be like, I'll give you a thousand dollars. If you can tell me what Shane does, it, it takes up 80% of his time and everybody will go. I know that I see him internationally speaking. Sometimes I know that he writes on his blog. I think he has a blog. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I know that he does real estate, but I don't know how much real estate he does or if he does that full time. Like even my wife is like, she'll say, what did she say? There was something the other day that she said that I was like, like, you don't follow anything I do really. And she goes, not really. I mean, I know what you're doing and kind of for the most part, because she said something that like I hadn't done in a little while. And I was like, no, baby, I haven't. I was like three weeks ago, for God's sakes. Like, how do you not know what I'm doing every minute of my life? I know. Jesus. Like, are you not on Twitter? Like I just updated the whole world and you, how do you not know? You know, she's like, no, no, I don't follow you on Twitter. Why would I follow you on Twitter? I see you in real life. Like last thing I need is more exposure to you. Right. I mean, this is for God's sakes. Like, give me a break. Give me a break. But so I, I was with all this being said, like what other future projects? And I, know that, I don't even know if we need to talk about future stuff, but like what other future things do you want to work on? I mean, I know you've got a lot. You got the people, Broken People. Broken People is the yeah. third and last book. Yeah. The third. And when is that coming out? When, when are we looking at with that one? I'm hoping that it's going to be out by uh, summer. So we're looking at June because I really just have the final edits to do and then it'll go through proofreading and copy editing and all that stuff. So. So with this and anybody that hears this, this is the recording happened obviously a little earlier, but we're, we're, we're almost fully quarantined. I mean, we're here in California and this is, you know, with the coronavirus where anybody over 65 can't come out, shouldn't come out, will not be able to come out. And now we're kind of in a like, they wrote closed down restaurants and bars and all that fun stuff. Do you think this is a good time? I mean, are you going to be able to get more work done or is it going to be a situation where the kids are going to be home and the, the cats are going to be not really losing their minds because they're already having treats and catnip and all the other fun yeah. stuff that they have. Like what? cats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So what, I mean, is this going to be a good time for you to be able to knock out some projects or what do you, what do you see in the future? Well, you know, I actually just emailed all of my clients and said, basically everything I do for them is a hundred percent online anyway. So yeah. it's business as usual for me, for them. And if they had concerns to email me back and let me know if there's something we need to work on or change for them. The only thing that's changing is their events are canceled. Yeah. So, you know, what do we need to do to make up for those face-to-face interactions? And so, um, cause I do have a number of clients who are traditionally published mm. and they're working with their publishers to create some kind of giveaways or things like that. So in that regard, my business thankfully so far is not affected because that's basically what I've been doing for them all along. Yeah. So that's not going to change. No. With regard to my writing, I may be able to get a little bit more writing time in. I do have two new clients coming on. So that's good business-wise. Yeah. I think that more people are going to be spending their time online. They already are. What I'm actually writing for a friend of mine is how can writers focus right now? on getting their writing and marketing done instead of scrolling through 25,000 coronavirus updates. Because a lot of people, especially people with mental health issues, which is a lot of my audience who are survivors, Mm -hmm. are having a very hard time with anxiety. And so if we can focus on other activities that help calm us right now 
that can be very effective. And writing is a really great way to shut off all the noise and focus. And that actually helps calm you down. So those are some of the things that I'm recommending that I'm doing myself. Focusing on client work is a great way to focus and not be caught up in, you know, who's right, who's wrong. It's this issue, it's that issue, all that. It's easy to get sucked in for sure. I mean, there's just so much information and it's like, especially because now you have kind of a, an isolated time where you're inside the house. You're like, oh, let me be online a little bit more. Let me look up these crazy websites. Let me click on this link bait and see what they're saying. Oh, that sounds crazy because it is. And it's probably not true, but you got to be careful of that. So let's jump in at the end of this podcast here. And this has been nothing but an awesome session. Once again, what would be like the best piece of advice that you can give somebody? Like, let's just say it's life. Like what was it? There's anything that somebody said to you a long time ago, whether it helped you with what you dealt with in your past or current situations or how to write a book or to do this. Like you have any good piece of information that you're like, my uncle told me when I was eight years old, this, and it's always been my mantra or something like that. Do you have anything that's like that? that I would say there's two. One is my dad always said, especially when I was starting out, my very first job was working as a cashier at Long's drugs. You may yeah, remember. I do. Absolutely. Now it's like CVS. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was a manager for them for many, many, many years. And he always said, kill them with kindness. Mm. They'll never know what hit them. So that can be very difficult to do, especially on social media when people are trashing you or victim blaming you, or you may not have to deal with that, but that comes up a lot. Yeah. On the OC. And I try to just be really democratic with people, very diplomatic, very nice. Sometimes the snark comes out. <laughs> I really um, and the other thing is, especially for writers, is just get out of your own way. Mm. A lot of times, this was very helpful to me. A mentor said to me, I was getting overwhelmed with my business, with my writing. It was just too much. And she said, you need to hire an assistant because you need help with all your various projects and writers were thinking, well, I haven't made any money yet. So how can I pay somebody? And I ended up hiring somebody for like a hundred dollars a month. And now I obviously pay more and I have two assistants because I'm doing well enough, thankfully knock on wood. But a lot of times authors won't spend any money on themselves because they feel like they're not worth it or the investment is mm. way too much. And that was the best advice she ever gave me because it was just, you know, yeah. There. Well, most, most people are their, their own, their, the road bump is usually themselves. Right. So that's, and I realized it in my business a while years ago of like, everything kept coming back to me for approval and this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden I'm the person that's stopping everything, which is like a nightmare. Right. So I think having an assistant or investing in yourself, like you said, Hey, you start off at a hundred bucks a month, just for somebody to take on a few hours a week type tasks to take on stuff that, that, you know, cause you, the problem is our mind only has so much Ram and there's 500 things you need to get done. If you can take off 10 or 15, 20, 30, hundred of those things, have somebody else doing it, then it keeps the machine going, right? You don't want to be, you can be your own worst enemy sometimes. So yeah. I think everybody gets to that point once you get to enough business or you once again, invest in yourself, spend that money. Like it's that you really shouldn't because you could be saving money. But at the end of the day, if you're driving yourself crazy or you're not launching, then that's a huge issue, right? You're not gonna make any money yeah. if you don't launch. So what do you need yeah. to do to make it so that bottleneck isn't happening? Yeah. My last question for you, actually, I've got two, one, one question that I want to ask and we'll ask the last question as well. So if there was, and this is going to be interesting with you, I'm, I'm excited to hear your answers. So if you were going to have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I knew you were going to ask this question. Yeah. Okay. So one is, I was always a fan of her work and then she became my client, which was just weird serendipity. And she's still my client, Barbara Delinsky. 
She's had 22 New York Times bestselling books. Jeez. And now we talk maybe once a week. She lives in Boston. I'm in California. I've never met her in real life. But we FaceTime. She's the loveliest, sweetest, most amazing woman. She writes women's fiction. She's a psychologist. She travels the world. She's just the sweetest, nicest, funniest lady and mm. i would love to have dinner with her i'm going to have dinner you will with her. i mean I'm, I'm like you're already there like this is i think she's already pretty much at your table oh she calls me darling and sweetheart and we text each other with little funny memes i mean we've become very good friends yeah. and she's with saint martin's press which is a division of mcmillan i mean she is big time Huge, yeah. but you would never know it she's just she's like my older sister or something nice nice i would love to meet malala and have some interactions with her. Her dad follows me on my Rachel and the OC account. Oh, nice. We've interacted a few times. He's just an amazing man, but she's just so inspiring. I would absolutely love to sit down with her and pick her brain. And you've got one more seat here. It's a, it's going to be a good dinner party. I can tell. Oh my goodness. You know, um, she's so inspiring to me. Uh, Rosanna Arquette. Hmm. I've always been a fan. And then to find out that she was one of Harvey Weinstein's victims. Yeah. Yeah. She, she and I DM each other occasionally. She's read my books and that's not why I want, I want to meet her. I just, she's so creatively inspiring and brave and so vocal for all the women who are affected by him. Yeah. For sure. She's awesome. She's definitely being the forefront of, of making sure that there's that no longer a silent voice. So that's awesome. Yeah. Rachel Thompson, this was awesome. I knew it was going to be a good interview. I'm excited. I didn't even know you were in my hometown. That's that's super awesome. I'll probably see you everywhere now. Like before we probably <laughs> went past each other like 10 times and didn't know. But yeah. if anybody needs to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Like go ahead and give us a little, a little spiel on what you got going on. Sure. Well, the easiest way is probably Twitter. So Bad Redhead Media, just spelled like bad, then redhead, then media, or Rachel in the OC, R-A-C-H-E-L in the OC. Those are my two accounts on Twitter. Same on Facebook. I have pages, an author page and a, a business page. Um, or my websites are the same, rachelintheoc.com, badredheadmedia.com. Um, I'm totally open. Uh, you can email me or contact me on those as well. And where can they find your books? On Amazon. In fact, they're all free right now. My 30-day book marketing challenge. And I have a small little mini book, just kind of a starter book to help people understand how to SEO their blog posts. Those are free and broken pieces and broken places are free as well. That's awesome. You guys go out and get those books. I mean, free last time I checked is the best price you're going to be able to get, right? So go out, go out and grab those books. And also, guys, if you guys listen to this podcast and you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to it. And please tell the audience about our upcoming course. You know, we've got a course coming out, the How to Be an Influencer course. So it's howtobeaninfluencer.com. Well, that's we're going to be coming out with that at the end of this month. So if you're interested in becoming an influencer, and what I mean by that is more on how to be an entrepreneur and how to like put your business together the right way, how to pitch brands, how to work with brands, how to make money, how to get free dinners, all the fun stuff. Make sure you go over there to howtobeaninfluencer.com. Rachel, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was great. 